Hey there, welcome to another episode of The Break. I am Father Roderick. It is still very, very hot in the Netherlands. It's not as hot as the last Saturday, which was insane, but it's still pretty hot here in the studio. But that won't stop me from recording another episode of this show. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. This past Saturday was so far the worst day in terms of heat. Um, it, it rose all the way up to 34 degrees Celsius, which is somewhere in the 90s Fahrenheit. Um, and normally on a hot day like that, I would just basically lock myself up inside. I would close the curtains all day long, um, sit in front of a fan and just try not to move because every step you take is going to cost energy and um, is just very unpleasant. However, this last Saturday I had multiple reasons to not do that and uh, one of them was that in the morning I had my running training now that's early relatively early in the morning starts at 9 30 and then it is still reasonably okay outside it was I think 24 degrees when we stopped it was already 26 um, but since we're running in the woods that is still okay uh, brought a lot of water with me but then then I had to go to Amsterdam uh, because two of our patrons uh, were visiting Europe. They're on a tour. And uh, uh, so I, I agreed to, uh, to meet them in Amsterdam. Uh, at first, uh, I invited them to come over here, but then there was a, there was a, a problem with the train. So the, it was impossible to, to go to my place by train. And so you had to take buses and it's very complicated. If, you, if you're not used to using public transport in the Netherlands, I just don't recommend just winging it. So instead I, I said, I can come to Amsterdam, not knowing that that would be such a hot day. Um, it was, it was uh, fun, nevertheless. I got to show them some, um, some cool places. We went to the Anne Frank house. Didn't go inside because nowadays uh, you have to order your tickets uh, weeks, if not months in advance. There's such a demand. And of course, it's just a very small house. So they can only um, have a certain number of people every day. Uh, but I was able to... Um, to show them the place, and, and of course the story of Anne Frank itself is, is very well known. He also uh, showed them uh, the one of the secret churches um, that we had during the Protestant uh, reform, where the Catholics were not allowed to worship in public. Um, however, the Dutch being very pragmatic, uh, they did allow the Catholics to worship, however, it couldn't be in a church. And so a number of people transformed their house on the inside in ch into chapels. And there were, I think, almost 30 or 40 of them. Um, there is one that is particularly well-preserved. It has also been restored. And from the outside, it just looked like a, looks like a regular building on the side of one of these canals. You go in, you walk up the stairs, and you go all the way to the attic. And then all of a sudden, you're in, the, in this big chapel. And there's an organ. And there's a high altar. And it's, uh, it's insane. The guy who owned the house was a very rich German uh, businessman. He had two um, floors removed, at least part of those floors removed, so that would create a, a, a very tall, open space that could serve as a chapel. It is uh, quite interesting. Plus, the house itself is from the 17th century, um, which, of course, is the golden age for, um, for the Dutch economy. 
mostly because we were pillaging other countries that we occupied. But um, a lot of the uh, of what makes Amsterdam Amsterdam it was in in the 17th century, and it's, it was very cool to just see the rest of the house where they brought the rooms back in it in their original state so it gave you a pretty good idea what uh, you know daily life would look like in the netherlands around that time um it was a lot of fun and then uh, what else did we do uh, oh yeah there's another place that most people don't realize that amsterdam is such a catholic city which it is uh, if if you've watched um pulp fiction you may re- recall that conversation between um Samuel L. Jackson and uh, 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 what's his name, John Travolta, <laughs> um, about about fries with mayonnaise, and they, they talk about Amsterdam. It's all the cliches. It's you know red light district and drugs and 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 fries with mayonnaise being like the the worst sin of the of the Dutch, um, and so that has for some people created the idea that. Um, Amsterdam is is kind of the Sodom and Gomorrah of, of Europe, but that's absolutely not the case. Um, it used to be a place of pilgrimage in the Middle, in middle Ages, and still up until today, um, there are a, a tremendous amount of churches, including Catholic ones. Um, and there are also uh, lots of religious com- communities that still live in Amsterdam. The Jesuits have their main house there, and a beautiful church that is um, a very vibrant community, attracts hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, there is a, um, a a very interesting, like almost a hidden garden in the middle of, very close to the main street in Amsterdam, um, and uh, it's it, it dates back to the to the Middle Ages where women that didn't want to join a religious order but still wanted to live a life dedicated to God could live there together. So it was prohibited for men, only single women could live there, and they um, spent their lives serving others. So they did mostly uh, uh, charity work, or they would be in education. Um, There was a chapel, so they they would pray, but they didn't pronounce vows. Um, There wasn't a superior. All these women were equal. And, well, the last of those Beguines, as they were called, uh, died in, I think, in the 70s of the previous century, but ever since, they still maintain those rules. So if you want to live there in the heart of Amsterdam, um, of course, there's a waiting list, and you have to wait until one of those occupants, one of those women, dies or, for other reason, leaves the premises, and then you can uh, apply to live there. But there are rules. You need to be a single woman. You can't have a relationship. You cannot have um, uh, anyone living with you. And if for some reason you choose to to get married or enter into a relationship, you have to leave. Um, and it's so funny, like you walk in that very busy touristy part of Amsterdam, you you turn a corner, you go through a little um, archway, and all of a sudden you're in this very quiet garden surrounded by tiny little houses, and it feels like you're you're in the Middle Ages. It feels like you're in a in a in a convent or something like that. There's nothing that betrays that this is in the heart of one of the busiest cities of the Netherlands. So it was a lot of fun for me also to have a reason to go back to Amsterdam and visit all these places. Um, I can't guarantee that I can do this with er- anyone who's visiting me. Uh, feel free to you know let me know if you're ever in the in the neighborhood. But um, it just happened to be the case that I I I had a day 
available. So if I can, then of course I will. But sometimes I, I just <laughs> I can't make it happen. So I hope you don't uh, hold that against me if you are ever in the neighborhood and I happen to be in Rome or somewhere else. But anyway, um, so that's what I did um, this past Saturday, and I'm still kind of recovering from that. <laughs> <laughs> on Sunday, I uh, had two masses and had to do a second mass uh, because our pastor is still recovering from surgery. Um, and uh, two masses on one Sunday is still too much for him. Um, that was an interesting experience as well. So I did the international mass and I preached about the gospel and translating it to the current situation in the Netherlands where our cabinet has fallen over um, a uh, disagreement when it comes to the the way in which we treat migrants and and refugees and this has been a big problem for more than a year now and um and there it's actually a very complicated problem it has uh, we of course have the, the genuine refugees people that have traveled sometimes from you know africa or i met this young woman she she fled ethiopia when the massacres began there she lost her parents she doesn't even know if her parents are still alive she she uh, she escaped the country on foot and then traveled all the way just in, in insane journey ended up here in the netherlands and now she's in a refugee center waiting for you know the 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 the, res the, the they do all sorts of exams to see if um, if she's a, a legitimate refugee and otherwise she'll be sent back so um but but in, that's actually in terms of numbers not really a the biggest problem we also have of course now open borders in europe and so we've got a lot of economical migrants that come to work here and they need a place to stay as well. So we've got tons of people from Poland and other Eastern European countries that are now um, uh, applying for a job and for housing. And that the combination of that, and plus these very... Um, the, the war in Ukraine, of course, has brought also a huge number of Ukrainian uh, people uh, that at least temporarily need to live here. So anyway, I, I had a homily about what I think the gospel asks us to do, and it's not to close our borders, but to help wherever we can, um, and always remembering that ultimately we are all, to a certain ex extent, either refugees or or travelers. Uh, if you look at your own gene genetic background, it, you can now, nowadays uh, have companies research that for you. you. You'll discover that you have like part Viking in you, or in my case, it's like a, a, a part Chinese. And, and so uh, the entirety of our Western countries, look at the United States. Most of the people that live there are not from that area of the world. They are from Europe. They came from, from, from Ireland, from, from Germany, from whatever. And so... Um, the Bible, in a number of places, tells us, well, keep that in mind. One day, once, and this is especially true, of course, for the Jewish people, you were on the run, you were threatened, you were in exile, and you wanted to have a, a, a home and a country to live in, and God gave it to you. But always remember that other people may be in the same situation as your forefathers were. So I had this whole homily and then afterwards someone just really was upset and very mad at me that I uh, dared to talk about these political issues in my homily and uh, I could tell that uh, we wouldn't probably come to an agreement but it was a bit it was a bit surprising because for me I feel like if we cannot translate the gospel to our day-to-day -day situation and the issues that we're struggling with now 
if if I only have to talk about spiritual topics, then what what purpose does that serve? Um, for me, the Bible and my faith is supposed to be a guide, a guiding light in difficult times. And so I don't think that the church is a political or should be a political organization, nor should a priest have um, uh, or display or preach about his or her um, well, in case it's a priest, it's mostly him, <laughs> uh, his, his political preferences. So I will never advise people to, to not vote this or, or do vote that. But there are general rules, I think, uh, when, especially when it touches upon the dignity of people and also the value of the marginalized people and people that are, uh, that are on the move or, or are trying to flee a war or anything. There, there's just a basic decency, I think, that every single person has a right to have, even if... You know, in terms of the the actual situation, there is a problem, but it's still you cannot let. And this has happened in the Netherlands uh, now for uh, uh, for a year, where where hundreds of people, including children, have to sleep outside, sitting in a chair, because we don't we haven't organized enough beds. And so, for me, if if people start telling me, well, we just have to close the borders and we have to send them home, I'm thinking, no, no, you don't know that story. There may be certain people that actually don't belong here and shouldn't be here, but there are also genuine refugees and people that would be killed if you sent them back. I'm thinking of that young woman who told her, her story. If you send her back to Ethiopia, she, she has no future there, and, and she's gone through so much trauma. We need to take care of people like that. And it's up to us as rich countries, I think, to take our responsibilities. And at the same time, of course, the core problem is not just that we need to find places for these refugees. We need to try to solve, and we can only do this as an international community, we have to solve the problems in the countries that these people flee from. And we have a political responsibility that goes beyond our borders to make this world a better place. And for me, faith is one of those connecting tissues in our world that can actually inspire people to work together to make this world a better place. Otherwise, if you don't have faith, if you don't have stories, if you don't have common values um, that are transmitted through stories, then it's everyone for himself. And all these countries become, you know, like isola isolationists. And, and then it's basically us versus the world. And that has never solved problems in in, in history. So it was quite a weekend. I have to say after two masses like that and having like a difficult conversation afterwards, I was pretty shell-shocked. <laughs> I still am a bit recovering from, uh, from those busy days, but I still had a little bit of energy left, so I wanted to be there for you in order to record a podcast. <laughs> Not like movies. They're predictable. Like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So Danielle is asking me in the chat, did you already see Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? What do you think of it? Unfortunately, I haven't. And the reason is that actually I was planning on seeing it this morning in a matinee. Because I don't know about your country where you live, but here in the Netherlands... Ticket prices for uh, for watching a movie in the in the cinema are insane. They have they've risen so much since since the pandemic, and I I've and even if you want to get a drink or some popcorn, it gets even worse. 
So I'm I'm always looking for I don't watch that many movies in the theater anymore because I if if they end up on Disney Plus or on HBO Max or, or you know Netflix and I I can wait. I have so much that I want to that I want to see. But a movie like Indiana Jones I want to see it in the theater because it's you know it's part of 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 my of my inheritance or how do you say that it's part of my youth i grew up with indiana jones and star wars so um seeing that this is the last movie with harrison ford who is now in his 80s um i i do want i don't want to miss that in theater so i was looking for a matinee uh because then the, the price is okay it's 10 bucks and you know i can cough up 10 bucks it is however you know the 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 price of a of a monthly subscription to a streaming platform. So even ten bucks is quite a bit of money. It used to be, I think, seven fifty in the morning. But anyway, I was hoping to go today, but then I got a a message from a friend of mine who I worked with in TV, and he said, "Hey, I'm in the neighborhood, and uh, can I stop by?" And of course, it was in the morning, so I spent my time talking with him and having a cup of coffee. <laughs> and uh, maybe I'll go tomorrow, or you know, sometime this week. I will definitely go and watch it. I can't wait to see it. Speaking of Indiana Jones, I found this super cool, funny clip the other day on Instagram. Someone posted it, and it is um, an interview that was done in the year 2000. Remember that? Maybe you weren't born yet, <laughs> or you were still in diapers. But I do remember that. It was the year, of course, where everybody thought that the world would end and, well, computers would be uh, all explode because of the, the, the Y2K bug and everything. Uh, but it was also the year that Harrison Ford appeared on Conan O'Brien's show and did an interview about whatever he was working on at the time. Uh, so we're talking about an interview that took place 23 years ago. I mean, it's just insane that the year 2000 is 23 years ago. It makes me feel even older than I already feel. Um, and then they are talking about, you know, a possible future Indiana Jones movie. And i just let you listen to what they say because it's hilarious. Nobody, of course, at the time thought that uh, that that Harrison Ford, when he was 80, would still be doing movies. So, this is the interview. People will never get tired of that genre. You could do it for, I mean, you could, when you're 80, you could do ones where they just bring the treasures to you. And you're in. <laughs> 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 That's good, yeah. Good job. Just something to think about. Indiana Jones and the comfortable bed. <laughs> with the rest of them over there. Um, uh. I mean, that's Conan O'Brien. And it's just a joke, but here we are. Harrison Ford is 80, and he's still doing you know, a movie like Indiana Jones. It's insane. And of course, he's not sitting in a comfortable bed waiting for people to bring him another uh, you know, Ark of the Covenant or another treasure. Just to just put it over there in a the garage. No, it's, it's actually a lot better than that. I hope at least some of you have already seen it. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm really in the mood for some Indiana Jones. If only to just see the iconic hat again and hear that music. I mean... How can I not go watch that movie? It hasn't been the big box office success that Disney was anticipating it would be, but I don't think you can blame this on on Disney or on the writers or on Harrison Ford. It, this is just this is this is a new world since the pandemic, and the entire economy is so different from what it was in in uh, years ago. And in fact, I'm 
I'm glad that we get a new Indiana Jones movie, but I'm also glad that, for instance, with Star Wars, they have chosen to go at it uh, slowly and not overdo it with uh, uh, new movies every year like they initially planned on doing it. I want movies to be an event, and then, yes, I will pay the money to go see it in a theater. If But it has to be more than just something that I could also see on my TV. This is also one of the issues that I have, a uh, little segue, with the current uh, first season of, or maybe the only season, of Secret Invasion. This is, of course, a Marvel story uh, starring um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson and then the guy who played the bad guy in, um, in, in Solo, I think. Um, uh, it, it, and it's about a scroll invasion. So scrolls are aliens, and they they had been promised a new planet, and they didn't get it. So instead, they 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 invade um, the, the, our planet Earth, and they can morph into anyone. So anyone could can be a scroll. And I I I love the idea. There's this based on well, just the title is based on a very uh, famous and and very popular comic book run where basically all Marvel was telling this huge story about this massive war and even superheroes sometimes would be scrolls and nobody would know that that that, that they're you know I don't know if it was the Hulk or anything because I've not read the comic book series yet but the, the the big superheroes that we know from the previous Marvel stories would be involved in this instead they tell this very small scale story which even in terms of the way it looks and the way it is filmed looks very small very cheap. I mean, I've complained in the past that some some of these new Star Wars series look sm- small, like Obi Wan Kenobi, and should have been a theatrical movie with a bigger budget to tell that story well. Well, this is even to a certain extent worse. That this feels like a very run of the mill kind of lackluster series, which is is I, it just doesn't work for me. We're now at episode three. Maybe, so that's the halfway point, maybe the other three episodes will lift it to another level, but so far I'm not convinced it will. It feels like they're they're really, um, I think, they they, they probably thought, well, let's not do a movie about this because the risk is too big or maybe we we just don't want to invest that much money. We have so many other movies that we want to put in the theaters. Let's turn this into a TV show and then with that tiny budget... Uh, most of the budget probably goes to Samuel L. Jackson and some of the other famous uh, actors that have a role, but the story itself doesn't work, and, and it's 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 all feels as if it is filmed on very small, you know, dark. Oh, everything is at night and uh, very small stages, or even with using the volume with stagecraft. And and I miss the superheroes. This story just really needs a couple of those famous superheroes to to make us feel that this is part of the MCU. And right now, I feel like this could be any... Just replace replace the actors, change the names, and you would have a very mediocre television series that nobody would watch. So I don't know what the numbers are for Disney. Probably we, 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 don't, we don't get to know that. But so far, this is, for me at least, the most disappointing uh, television series that they've produced. Uh, and, and I think this would have been so much better as a movie with a slightly bigger budget and 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 stay closer to the comic book uh, story which now i want to read 
because everybody tells me, oh, it's so different and it's so much more impressive and, and uh, more fun than the, yeah, the television series. I don't know if I'm the only one. Let me know if you disagree. Um, and we'll see. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe the, the next three episodes will, uh, will totally have me revise my opinion. But um, this is what I feel at the halfway point. Another series that I started watching again is For All Mankind. And I'm now almost at the end of season two. This, of course, is a series by Ronald D. Moore. tells the story of an alternate timeline in which the Russians are the first ones to land on the moon. And um, in season two, we're still in our past. So it tells a slightly different version of the history of NASA and the exploration of the moon. And then I think in the next season, it, it will actually go into the future. So it will become proper science fiction. And um, for me, this is one of the best science fiction shows um, that I've ever seen. I love Silo, as you know, and I think it's amazing what they what they did. Um, but in terms of what I feel feel when i'm watching an episode for me uh for all mankind tops anything else that series really makes me cry and makes me just feel so bad about some what happens to some people or so concerned about some of the mishaps that uh, are caused sometimes by, by by just human weakness and and at the same time excited when when there is a new sudden development there are so many of these twists and turns in the story the show looks amazing the acting is insanely good i mean wow what a series and i i really hope that there's going to be another season after the last one that aired and i hope that i'll have caught up in the meantime um, another series that I need to catch up with is Star Wars Rebels. As you know, I have not finished watching Star Wars Rebels, but I need to because Ahsoka is going to be actually, not officially, but it is going to be the continuation of Star Wars Rebels, but then with real live action. And so season four is going to lead in straight into the events of Ahsoka. And so Ahsoka... Uh, premiering, I think, on the 24th of August, smack in the middle of my vacation when I'm in France and probably will have really bad internet. So, thanks. <laughs> um, I still want to make sure that I've watched um, the final season of... of uh, uh, of Star Wars Rebels. I've, I've only got, like, three more episodes of... Um, season three to watch. I'm really enjoying it. It's, um, it had a bit of a slow start. Um... Um, but um, there are some excellent episodes in every season, actually. So here's what I am I'm, I'm thinking. Maybe this is something you'd be interested in. What if I do, like, a for me, a first watch, and for most of my fellow Star Wars fans, it would be a rewatch of season four. And so I watch an episode, and then I do a, a YouTube video. And I'll just give you my opinions. I'll talk a little bit about the major themes. Just like reviewing every episode. It, it won't be, you know, always a very researched kind of talk, but it just take, I don't know, five, seven minutes to just go over that episode and then just continue the conversation in the comments. Would that be something that you would be interested in? Let me know. Um, and if so, make sure you are subscribed to my main channel on YouTube, which is youtube.com slash Father Roderick. <laughs> <laughs> Catholics rock! Hey.
It is time for a quick visit to the Peculiar Bunch because you would think that in the summertime when it's bloody hot in Rome, the Pope would take it easy. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? But this Pope doesn't go on vacation. He's not, you know, chilling in his backyard with a margarita watching TV. No, this Pope has just announced a consistory. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than blockbuster video. Or is it a consistory? Consistor, consistory, consistory. How do I pronounce this? You know what? This is where I'm so glad that I have... Uh, a search engine, and now I've always used um, Google to search something, like most of us do, but recently I've switched to Bing because Bing actually has artificial intelligence and there is a chat version of Bing that uh, re replies not by showing you, hey, this is a website you may want to check out, but by actually telling you this what you want to know. And as a story, I really, really... Uh, enjoy uh, interacting with this search engine. So let me just go to Microsoft Bing and click on uh, the chat function. And I will ask you, how do I pronounce consistory? I'll, I'll tell you in a minute what it means. Consi oh, oh, consi I can't type anymore. Consistory. There we go. How do I pronounce consistory? I don't know how, where I put the emphasis. Probably the people in the chat have already answered it, but... <laughs> um, oh, you can listen to the pronunciation on howtopronounce.com. They have an audio file. Well, well, thank you. Can you give me the link, please? I'll just click on it. Um, uh, okay, so let's take a listen. How do I pronounce this? Consistory. There you go. I said it right. I knew it. <laughs> consistory. So what is a consistory? I also asked Bing what a consistory is, and thinking that it was just a Catholic thing, you know. And then it actually answered me, um, what is a consistory? A consistory is a type of ecclesiastical council charged with tasks of governing a religious organization. It can also refer to any solemn assembly and council. I was like, mm, that's not enough. No, what is a consistory in the Catholic Church? And then Bing answered, in the Roman Catholic Church, a consistory is a formal meeting of the College of Cardinals called by the Pope. There are two kinds of consistories. This, this, by the way, checks out. You know, I wouldn't read this to you if it was if the AI wasn't correct. Um, so there are two kinds of consistories: extraordinary and ordinary. An extraordinary consistory is held to allow the Pope to consult with the entire membership of the College of Cardinals. All the cardinals have to be there. So I ask, well, so, well that's an, an, an extraordinary consistory. What is an ordinary one? An ordinary consistory, um, uh, being answered, is, a, is ceremonial in nature and attended by cardinals resident in Rome. For example, the Pope elevates new cardinals to the college at a consistory. Pope Francis has called consistories for ceremonies of canonization as well. So there you have it. This is this is a meeting of cardinals. And what are cardinals? Cardinals are used to be, this is a very old institution in the Catholic Church. They used to be the priests of Rome. Rome, of course, being a big city. Um, and so the Pope is the bishop of Rome, as you know. And he he his priests were called cardinals. Now, over time, of course, the world has 
Well, the world has stayed the same, but the church has, has grown bigger and bigger and bigger. And so ultimately, these cardinals were bishops from all over the world that had a special bond with the Pope and uh, were also kind of the group of bishops that he could consult on important things. Um, they would have a very important role when a successor uh, had to be chosen because the Pope had abdicated, as did Pope Benedict XVI, or died, which was the case in most of the time with popes. And so the cardinals come together, and in a conclave, which is not the same as a consistory, uh, in secret, choose a successor, which, by the way, doesn't necessarily have to be a cardinal. They can, in fact, pick anyone obviously it has to be a Catholic um, and, and male, uh, to be the next pope. So that hasn't happened very often in church, but there are, there are moments in history where they would just call a priest who had no idea that these cardinals were, wanted him to become a, a, a pope, and then they would just consecrate him bishop, and uh, then he would be presented as the next pope. pope the papal um, function is not um, an ordination. So the pope is is, is um, how do you say that, ontologically just another bishop. He's, he's just kind of the, the, um, the successor to, to the role of, of St. Peter. Um, and so he is to lead the other bishops. So, uh, so why did Pope Francis call um, a consistory uh, and I think this, in this case, is an ordinary consistory. It is because he has announced that he wanted to nominate a whole number of new cardinals again. The Pope can pick anyone to become a cardinal, and um, most of the time, these bishops are a little bit older, uh, especially when they are created cardinals. We, we, we say they cr the Pope creates cardinals. It's not a nomination. He creates them. It doesn't mean that he's... Uh, using some clay and then some uh, sacred magical breath to uh, bring them to life. It's not that kind of creation. But uh, a cardinal is created by the Pope. Um, and when these cardinals uh, reach the age of, I think, 82, if I'm not mistaken, they lose their voting right in a conclave. And so there has to be uh, a certain number. This is not really, I think... Uh, prescribed by law how many cardinals you can have, but there is a traditional number of cardinals. Um, and so every once in a while, the Pope will uh, look at the current state of affairs and will say, hey, I'm going to call uh, a, a consistory in Rome, and these are the bishops, and in some cases priests, that I want to be cardinals. And so during that consistory, these will be presented. It's always interesting to see what Pope Francis does, because, of course, these cardinals are going to be there to elect his successor. So this is also a way in which a pope, of course, a pope cannot, before he dies, say, and before I close my eyes, I was thinking the next pope would be, was that Father Roderick? I've been watching his stuff on YouTube. He seems like a nice guy. We'll just make him pope. That wouldn't fly. That, and... By the way, that will never happen because I still believe that the Holy Spirit is protecting the church, so <laughs> no risk there. But no, after the Pope is gone, then these cardinals will elect a successor. But of course, it's 
we, we, we trust that the Holy Spirit works in that process. At the same time, it's also human. There's also politics going on. There are also uh, certain cardinals will say, well, we need this kind of pope. And then others would say, well, no, come on, we've had a pope like that. We need this guy. We need an older one. We need a younger pope. We need someone who is very much, you know... Um, uh, for instance, one of the reasons that they, they picked uh, Bergoglio, Cardinal Bergoglio, as the next pope was that he actually ha- really had some good ideas on how to reform the Curia, which was one of the main reasons that Pope Benedict abdicated. It was the Curia was out of control. And uh, uh, Pope uh, Francis, being um, a Jesuit and having had a lot of experience as um, uh, an archbishop in Argentina, um, seemed to be the uh, like a, a great temporary pope like he had he was already at an advanced age he was actually about to retire when he was elected he he didn't you know put his his um uh, what is it um his name in the in the hat so like pick me pick me no he's like ah oh, i was just about to retire and i'm getting too old for this for this stuff and so but everybody thought um Let's just ask him to to reorganize the curia, and then probably you know he's old. It, it will be a very short pontificate, and then we'll see what we do. And uh, of course, as you know, <laughs> the history was slightly different from what everyone expected. He's uh, he's been here for for quite a long time, and his impact on the church has been. Uh, of course, much broader than just a reorganization of the Curia, something that he still uh, is working on, and he's been quite successful, I think, in uh, making some very overdue changes to the way the, the church uh, works. And, but now he's he's also expanding that to the way that dioceses work, and um, he's, he's initiating this whole synodal process where um, I think we will see a whole new modus operandi, you could say, like a new way of in which the church functions, um, which I think might actually, in hindsight, which you can only tell, of course, a, a, a century after, after these facts, uh, we won't be around, but I think that this might actually be a, a, a game changer, a very revolutionary time in the history of the church. So uh, the fact that the Pope is now able to choose who is going to be part of that college of cardinals does of course have an impact on the longevity of his uh, of his i would say the emphasis that he puts on certain things popes of course defend the faith and the dogmas and part of that is immutable and has always been the same but then there's always of course also the form and the focus of a papacy and this pope of course very much focused on the poor and on uh, the church as a field hospital as a, a an organization that is not there for its own glory uh, let alone for its own wealth but it's here to serve and and uh, he wants priests and bishops and also popes to be shepherds and and i think that in the way that he's been um uh, influencing the composition of the College of Cardinals, you you see that he uh, is very consistent in in um, in making sure that what he sees as the future of the Catholic Church is reflected in also the people that will run the church when he's no longer there. And so again, he has picked a lot of um, bishops from 
all over the world. So the composition of the College of Cardinals is has never been this international before. For a long time, it was dominated by Italian bishops. Um, and there was a concentration of power, especially in the Western world. This pope now has brought in so many bishops from small countries, countries where the church is persecuted, um, third, third world countries where, where they are... Um, uh, serving a very small flock that is extremely fragile. And he wants to bring their experience into the heart of the church in the Vatican so that his successor will also have that that open mind and that sensitivity, I think, to what is happening everywhere in the world and not just in our, you know, Christian Western world that, let's be honest, is shrinking, at least a Christian identity of our Western world is, is shrinking, whereas in other parts of the world it is growing and it's blue, blossoming. And, and I think uh, Pope Francis uh, is right to, to uh, make sure that that shift of the balance is also reflected in the composition of the cardinals that will ultimately choose his successor. I hope that helped. Let's move on to the next topic. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I did uh, a bit of reading this past week. I read uh, three books, um, and they were all serious books. Um, now, right now, for this week, I want to read some fiction again, or some fantasy, or maybe some even some Star Wars novels. But uh, this past week, for I don't know, it's just coincidence that I uh, I, I was reading a, a number of uh, nonfiction books. Uh, the first one is called "It's Not About the Burqa: um, Muslim Women on Faith, Feminism, Sexuality, and Race." And I just I don't know how I came across this book. Maybe I saw someone else reading it on Goodreads. I was like, hey, that's interesting. It's basically a collection of essays written by Muslim women from different backgrounds, different countries, uh, different uh, different races. You know, we've got some some people from Africa, some people from the the Middle East, some uh, Muslim women that live here in the West. And it was a fascinating insight in how they define themselves and how they look at their faith and the position of women in inside the Muslim faith, uh, and also talk about the way they are perce perceived and the prejudices and uh, the way society often treats them, and also about feminism, you know, because, of course, uh, there is a, um, a very generalized idea that in, in Muslim faith, women are kind of second secondary, and uh, there's a lot of oppression, and the, the burqa uh, and the veil is always as often seen by outsiders as uh, um, basically a symbol of that oppression that women cannot show their hair. And it's, it's so interesting um, that these women actually have a very, very different experience of that. And for some of it, for some of them, yes, there is a lot of patriarch, patriarchal um, misuse of power within Islam. Uh, but other women say, well, you know, this is my choice, this is my identity, I, I want this for religious reasons, why don't people just ex uh, respect me? And, and they will say, well, actually, we, we do have power, and uh, if you look at the Quran, um, the, the, the value of women is much uh, more in the forefront than, than later on part of Muslim culture um, would, would implement. And so... Uh, there is 
quite a bit of misogyny and patriarchal, patriarchal the, the word is so hard to pronounce, patriarchal um, power play uh, that is robbing Muslim women from, from actually from the dignity and maybe also the influence that they have according to the Quran. Now, of course, it's just a, a slice of life out of the these women and, and, and it's, you know, the book is not a reflection of the entirety of the female Muslim world, so it does have its flaws, of course, or not really. I mean, it was interesting to read, but you you do miss some stories that you know are there. And uh, But it's just so interesting to read to read about that world, which is quite unknown to me, from the perspective of people that actually are part of that culture. And and if I think about that book, I'm, I, I'm almost thinking, I wish that people would also be able to read stories of, of Catholics and of priests, you know, that just instead of talking about us, that they would be able to see the the church and our faith from 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 my perspective from my personal perspective and i also get irked when on social media you know people will just hate on me or on the church and it, it without really knowing me and without and only judging from what they see from the outside uh, and it also reminded me this book reminded me that i have to be careful in the way that i judge other people's experiences and i i'm not always part of um uh, the culture that I, the, the cultures around me, and so before I pronounce myself, before I judge, it's it's always good to first listen and to immerse yourself in the experiences of the people that are actually uh, a part of that particular faith group. Or and and I've made quite a few mistakes, I think, in the past where you just you 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 watch a few videos on YouTube and then you think, oh, I know about why that 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 faith is. Uh, um, why the Catholic Church could, is, is irreconcilable with uh, that particular form of Christianity or whatever. Um, you always have to be careful. Um, first, first, research and listen uh, before you judge. It's actually a very Jesu- Jesuit um, uh, way of uh, forming a, uh, a judgment and to evaluate. So always first, you know, read, listen, uh, ponder, uh, weigh, and then, and then ultimately you may have your conclusion um, as long as you don't think that that is the the, the final truth about uh, about things, and, and I think I've changed over over the years, and be, I've become milder, um, and also more. I know that my opinion is oftentimes just my opinion, and I have been wrong so often, and it's that's not a problem because we we just work with what we know and what we read, but especially now that we live in an age where disinformation is so rampant and there's so much fake news, I think we really owe it to ourselves and to the world in which we live and to the people that we live with to, to always be open to change our mind and to never think, well, hey, I'm right and you're wrong and that's the end of the discussion. I think that ad- attitude is not helping us. It's not helping the world in which we live. And if you open yourself and ask questions and listen, it can only make you richer. It can only enhance your, your view of the world. Anyway, that's what this book did for me. Then the second book I read was a book in Dutch. It's written by a, a criminal lawyer, um, a woman called, uh, she calls herself Mas- Master Leonie, uh, Lenny, I think you would say in, in English. Um, and, and Master is, of course, the, 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 the title that she got when she... Uh, when she graduated from law school. And so, so she's a criminal lawyer. She uh, defends um, criminals. 
from very small petty criminals to, you know, the big drug cartel leaders and whatnot. And it is a fascinating book. Um, she she was on, on Instagram. She's actually uh, quite well known in the Netherlands because she will often be asked in talk shows uh, to, um, uh, to talk about the, the, the world of, of, of uh, uh, lawyers and, and whatnot. So, but she's on Instagram and on TikTok, I think, as well, because she wants to kind of close the gap between the work that she actually does, she and other lawyers, and then the way that work is often perceived. You know, the, the discussions like, oh, we should just uh, be much stricter and our, 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 we, we should give people lifelong sentences or even put them to death. Or We're often very vengeful when it comes to um, transgressions of our social order. Um, and she tells the other side of that story. She says, I, I need to defend criminals, even though I may discover in the process that they actually committed a crime that they are uh, sentenced for or are about to be sentenced for, but I, they still have the right to a fair process and they need to be defended. This is what our... Um, uh, what our... Uh, juridical system, I'm not sure if that's the... The, the correct word but that's that's how how our our society works um if i wouldn't defend certain people because i have a moral judgment about what they did um then then how can we uh make sure that everybody gets a fair process you are innocent until proven guilty and she she also gives a lot of examples where that can go wrong uh if if uh you know, lawyers don't do a good job, or if um, uh, judges would just follow public opinion. And it was a very, very interesting, uh, like, behind-the-scenes look of, of this, this whole world and why it matters that we have lawyers. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, in many ways, pretty eye-opening uh, for me. Again, a story from someone who actually works in that world and has stories to tell. I always love that because it's like a first-person perspective. Um, the third book I am current, still currently reading is about the whole refugee uh, situation. It's um, written by Omar El Akkad, and it's called What Stranger Paradise? It tells the story of two kids that are both refugees, and they're both um, fleeing on a boat. They arrive in our world, and they have to somehow find a new future. And then, of course the paradise that they always dreamt about when they were fleeing uh, or that their parents dreamt about turns out to be a very strange and oftentimes very hostile paradise. Um, it's, a, it's a fictional story, but it's based on, of course, the, the, the harsh reality of, of refugees. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to read because it all of a sudden makes the numbers that you see in the news, it, turns, it gives it a human face. And, uh, and I think that's important to let yourself be touched by those stories instead of just staying talking about that at a theoretical level. I think we owe it to the people that we live with in this world to take them seriously and to listen to their stories just as much as we lucky people who do live in safe countries and still have a house. Um, we, we like to be respected. We like to be listened to. And we don't want to become a number, so we owe it to our brothers and sisters that are less fortunate than we. That's why I'm reading that book. 
We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. All right, in a minute, I'm going to talk about the week of Threads, the big meta social platform that has launched uh, to tremendous success in its uh, first few days. But first of all, I want to talk about a video game that I'm actually quite excited about because it is based on one of my favorite animated series called Avatar The Last Airbender. And apparently a video game is in the making. It will uh, be launched uh, in the later part of this year and it's called Avatar The Last Airbender Quest for Balance. Water. Play the legend, it says on the screen. And you see beautifully rendered environments that we know from the animated series. Unlock the mysteries. Which seems to indicate that this is a puzzle game. Embrace your destiny. And restore balance to the world. Which is what the Avatar is for, of course. Avatar The Last Airbender Quest for Balance coming in the fall of 2023, according to this trailer. I have to say, it looks really, really good. Uh, very much cell shading technique um, so that the animated characters that you play with uh, do look very much like um, the style of the animated series. Um, and a lot of the characters that I see in this trailer are are part. I'm still I haven't finished uh, watching the entire series yet. I think I'm in. I think I'm already in the third season. So anyway, but it's it's a lot of fun. I love that series, and uh, of course also co-created and written by uh, Dave Filoni, who of course Mr. Star Wars right now. So you know that a lot of these stories are really good quality. Um, the only thing that makes me go a bit like, hmm, I'm not sure about that, is it's a puzzle game. And what I like about the series is, is it is so, you know, it's funny, there's a good story. So I hope that there's going to be more to this game than just some puzzles using the four elements. That's so kind of obvious. And I have never been a fan of puzzle games. I don't mind the occasional puzzle every once in a while in the game, like in the Tomb Raider uh, series, there, there's quite a bit of puzzling, but it's not the only thing. It's also adventure, and I hope that this video game, we don't know much about the story or about the type of game, but I hope it's not just like hardcore puzzle stuff, because that feels too cheap. The, the franchise is too important and too valuable for this. What I hope is that it's going to be also have a good story and, and some humor, maybe. Um, and if, if it works, then maybe there are going to be other Avatar games games as well in the future I, I would love to play an avatar rpg but maybe we'll have to wait and see what the um live action series on netflix is going to do um that is also something i'm very much looking forward to with a bit of apprehension as well because the animated series is so good i can't imagine that they can top that but but maybe they can i i, I i'm happy to be surprised uh by what they're going to do so that is um a very cool video game 
that I'm definitely going to check out. Uh, and then we need to talk about Threads. So, Threads, of course, the big Twitter killer, as it is called by some media, because it always sounds nice and clickbaity. Hey, just check out the new Twitter killer. But this was, of course, something that everybody expected at one point to happen. Um, Meta, formerly known as Facebook, has got has gotten so much power basically by copying what other people did successfully and then and then making it even more successful. There's almost nothing that Mark Zuckerberg built that is his invention. You know, he either just buys the company or he'll just make it himself. And uh, he, he even tried to copy some stuff and then decided, well, there's not no money in there, so we'll just stop this. But think of TikTok, for instance... The moment that that started to get traction, he uh, came up with Reels, and it was almost identical in the way you could swipe up and the the way the algorithm worked. It, it was clearly copycat stuff, and so now they did that with um, uh, with Twitter as well, knowing, of course, that since uh, Elon Musk took over Twitter, there was a lot of uh, grumbling amongst the users and especially amongst the journalists that felt like, well, you know what, this is. It's no longer working for us. Where's the moderation? Um, and Elon Musk, of course, uh, politically also has some very controversial uh, opinions and seemed to uh, endorse a lot of people that before he took over would not have a voice on Twitter. Um, and he gives them a podium and even likes. And we're not just talking like people, like controversial people in the sense that, well, they they it's just politics is also just <laughs> racist and Nazis and oh it's just really really um it, it makes me very uncomfortable um the the, the 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 kind of people that are using that platform plus of course technically he he fired so many of his technicians uh and moderators that uh people that know what they're talking about said this is this is going to fall on its face at one point. You cannot run such a big platform with so little, so few people. And then having someone like Elon Musk at the helm who will just, just have a crazy idea one morning or in the middle of the night and he wants it executed that, like an hour later. Uh, it's ultimately, if, if you don't have the people to run this, the, the technical side of things, well, it is going to collapse because Twitter is the result of years and years of iteration and improvement and uh, even the, the the technicians and the programmers that worked on Twitter before they got fired said we don't even know how it works it's all so like everything is interconnected and we've seen many times in the past how that um, caused uh, usability problems and uh, then of course uh, last week all of a sudden you couldn't see tweets anymore unless you were logged in unless you had an account so all of a sudden, this kind of open space that Twitter was has been for quite a while, where lots of government companies and also even the Pope, you know, he would just tweet out his messages and people could just Im embed that tweet anywhere. Now you you can't because well, at least recently they reinstalled that reinstart that um, possibility to watch tweets without having an account. But for for about uh, a week. You couldn't. And then he also forced people that were using TweetDeck, like I was a TweetDeck user, 
Um, and I've, I've worked f months on creating like lists of people that I wanted to follow. And to me, it's extremely valuable because on one screen, I can see everything that's happening in my spheres of interest. And I know that journalists are using it uh, uh, very, very much for to just gather news and to cross-check and whatnot. All of a sudden, uh, if you logged in to TweetDeck, it, it was broken. It wouldn't load anything. And then um, Elon Musk said, yeah, it's because we, uh, we want to limit the amount of tweets that you can see. Uh, it didn't really explain why. There are some rumors that it was because uh, a lot of the um, processing power and bandwidth was provided by Google and he just didn't want to pay the bills. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. But fact is, he did limit the amount of tweets that you could watch. And if you would go over a very small amount of, of tweets, like 600 if you're not a subscriber and a, a paying subscriber, then that's the end of the line for that day. You cannot see anything else. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I read way more. I don't read them all, but I do. I did, did view way more than 600 tweets on one day. So he says, you know, just you have to pay for it. And then you can see, I don't know, 8,000 or 10,000 tweets. But it was too late already. That, like all the media were like, oh, this is the end of Twitter. You know, it's this is the final straw. And a lot of people were like, yeah, I'm so fed up with this. Uh, but where's the alternative? Mastodon, uh, which I have been a very happy user of, it's still pretty complicated for someone who is used to the infrastructure of Twitter. It's something that works for geeks, but it's it's still so in its early stages. Um, it, it will... It, I think ultimately it will evolve and it will get better, but right now it's still a pretty clunky experience, especially the first steps to get to, you know, get to, uh, to, to, to establish a, a community there. So, um, so that's not really working. Then you had Blue Sky, which is uh, created by Jack Dorsey, who used to, of course, uh, work at Twitter and used to be the CEO of Twitter. Uh, and it was it initially was developed by Twitter, um, and now it's a separate company, and, but they were still in beta phase, and, and you, it was invite only. Um, so I got an invitation through a friend of mine, and I was very impressed. So I, I started using uh, Blue Sky, and it felt very much like, yeah, this is what Twitter used to be. This is why I love Twitter so much in the early years. And this is it. And it's, to a certain extent, even better than, than what Twitter was. Um, but it's very small. And none of my friends are on Blue Sky. So I only have, I don't know, 40 followers. And it's, it's really, really difficult to find. I mean, I love the conversations there. And it's, it has a bit of that like inner vibe, like, oh, it's just us, the few, lucky few who have an invitation. So uh, you don't have spam robots or anything. And it looks promising, but it's too slow. It's too, I mean, it's not, not slow. The, they have not been rolling this out fast enough. And so Mark Zuckerberg, he was looking at, he was, of course, already working on this Twitter alternative. And when he saw the news, like the general sentiment in the world that this is the end of the line for Twitter, we need an alternative. Now, he decided to, to uh, launch threads, uh, I think a week before it was originally planned. And it's still in a state where it misses a lot of the very basic functionality that even Blue Sky already has. So, but the big advantage of this of threads of this new social platform is 
that it is linked one-on-one with Instagram. And there are millions, if not billions of people on Instagram. And as soon as they launch threads, you can basically, as if you can install the app, which you cannot do if you're in, in Europe, in most countries, because, uh, well, meta and privacy, that is quite a problem, especially uh, with the, the European rules. Um, I don't think that um, Meta dared to launch it here because they could incur huge fines because they just don't they don't follow the rules when it comes to data gathering. At least they don't follow the European rules. Anyway, um, despite that, it's been a massive success because everybody who already was on Instagram could easily continue the conversation on threads. And even though it's extremely limited what it does, what it does is rock solid and very stable. And I also noticed that their whole uh, way of interacting with the people on the platform has changed. Facebook used to be this big, very corporate-like organization where you could complain, but it would just disappear in a void. And it was just uh, whatever these guys are doing. You can tell that they have learned from the... PR problems of Elon Musk and also, to a certain extent, the PR disaster of Reddit in the past few weeks, one thing they needed to do is to at least convey the impression that they were listening and that they are doing this because they just love to build something with the users. And and that is interesting to see that that very open attitude. And they, they joke around, you know, there's like people are complaining and that they will answer people on they must have an entire team that's on top of that but if people if someone says well i it's such a mess i see all oh, lots of accounts from people that i don't even follow i want a chronological feed then they will just answer they say hey uh, actually great uh, taking notes now um, definitely we're working we're going to do that and when someone says oh but i i miss audio i want to upload audio I'm like oh thanks for the idea and and they're very human and i know that this is all it's there's a PR company uh, that, that that knows how to do this, but they do it very very well. It creates a different vibe. You don't no longer feel that oh it's this big meta corporation and and can we even trust them because you know we haven't been able to trust them in the past. But in the way they communicate, I think they are trying to downplay that aspect or that reputation. They're trying to change their reputation by having a much more open conversation with the people that use it. So. I'm actually uh, uh, already using it. Um, I have a Canadian iTunes account because when I was in Canada years ago, someone gifted me a, an iTunes card, but it could only be spent in the Canadian iTunes <laughs> store. So I, I created a Canadian account. And then in Canada, you can download the app. So I, And then, then there's no problem. I don't have to use a VPN or anything. And immediately people started to find me and I was reading these posts or these threats it gave me some really good ideas on how I can um, change my own presence and the way I communicate on social media. If you want to listen to my thoughts and how this inspired me to and gave me some very good ideas about my own communication, um, I, w- I recommend you listen to the this week's episode of The Walk where I talk about threads and this sudden like idea that I had. Why haven't I thought of this before? Um, so I'm, I'm really enjoying it. it um, and, and I also think that uh, many of the things that people are missing right now, they've already said they are working on it. I hope they learn from their mistakes and from the 
some of the criticism they've received in the past. I still don't really trust Facebook because ultimately Meta wants to make money. So at one point there are going to be algorithms, there are, are going to be advertisements. So, but I enjoy it as it is right now. And at least it is, things are starting to move again. There's competition and competition in this world is always good. It will challenge people to come up with something better, something that uh, that works better. And I'm sure that over time you will see the trolls and you will see the, 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 the fake news and everything and all the problems from Twitter and Reddit will not all of a sudden disappear because we have an alternative. No, I think the problems are our problems as a society, as users. But it does make a difference how you act uh, upon those uh, those problems and if you moderate or not. And so in that respect, I think um, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. And if maybe this is not the end of the line. Maybe ultimately it will be Mastodon. But right now I can see why so many people prefer threads over Mastodon and, and over Twitter, let's be honest. Uh, they're already at 100 million uh, signups, which is insane. Um, if you would extrapolate this, they will uh, be way bigger than Twitter in a few weeks from now a few weeks from now, let alone the end of the year. Um, there is, there is, um, there's traction here, and I don't think that anyone can counter that with whatever alternative. Um, on the other hand, I'm totally okay. If people want to keep using Twitter or Mastodon, whatever works for you, by all means, continue to use it. It's not about reach. It's not about numbers. It's about the quality of the conversations that you can have and the friendships that you can build. At least that's what it is for me. At the end of this show, I want to say a special thank you to my patrons. It's a wonderful community. I am so glad that you are helping me to do this work. It is very important because I don't get a check from the Pope or my bishop. I have to finance everything that I do in the media myself. So I literally couldn't do this without you. Thank you so much for your generosity. I do need to find ways, of course, to increase the number of patrons because uh, we are unable to cover all the costs yet um, I think in total if I uh, would just break even if I want to try to break even uh, we need to get uh, to uh, about 8,000 euros per month of income and we're not there yet at all uh, we're not even at the halfway point so if you are able if you believe in what I do to reach out and to try to um to turn to the world instead of waiting for the world to come to the church or you know if you want to join me in this missionary uh, effort to use social media and, and and you enjoy what i do then i hope you can support me by going to patreon.com slash father roderick and you know if it's not within your means that's okay too i i really appreciate that you listen and I love your feedback, and I'm just happy to be able to hear, be here for you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll talk soon. God bless.